0: August sixteenth, two thousand twenty-two. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin, and Afkof Aleph Amud Aleph. If you count from the top of the page, twenty lines down, the last word on the line. al The Gemara returns to the Mishnah, where the Mishnah had that opinion of the Bi'akiva that a person who's Lohesh al literally means he's whispering on a wound or on a on a, 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 some sort of ailment, a person is whispering something, and the Mishnah said specifically, he's whispering a pasuk, that any of the uh, ailments, any of the sicknesses that I put in Egypt, I won't have on you any longer. God promises in parashat Beshalach, ki, because Ani Adonai I'm God who gives you those cures. So the Gemara elaborates and a little bit explains that statement. It's specifically and only when a person is rokek, where they spit onto the wound before reciting that pasuk. As a matter of fact, Rashi quotes from his rabbis that if a person were to uh, whisper that pasuk before, um, even if he's going to spit afterwards, it would be permitted. Furthermore, Rashi has a masorit of some sort that this is specifically if it's in Hebrew as opposed to if it's in another language. But the understanding and the idea being that the spit in your eyes when you're now reciting this pasuk is what's aiding this cure. If alternatively you're just studying Torah for the recovery of a person, so that's fully permitted. The understanding in that circumstance is Torah has a way of being Megin, a way of being Merapeh, and as a result that's permitted, but over here you believe, wrongfully so, that through injection of this spit, and now, through a magical incantation, it's going to cure. That's what's problematic. That's what's theologically prohibited. What is diseases in Egypt? Is this the plagues or is this? The Pasuk says that any of the mahala, any of the plagues, any of the illnesses I gave you there, I'll, I'll, I'll remove from you from now so on. Plagues. I imagine it means not only the ten plagues, I imagine it means anything and everything because the Gemara will, in just a few lines or so, maybe toward the bottom of the page, the Gemara will ask a contradiction within that Pasuk, it says that God promises no more machala, it doesn't say makot, machala means illnesses, sicknesses, and then the end of the Pasuk says, Ki ad- rof echa, because I cure you, you don't need to be cured if there's no ailments and sicknesses any longer. The Gemara answers, that specifically if you're following the will of God, that he'll remove sickness. So I think Means all sicknesses. Why specifically Egypt? Is as we're becoming a nation. It's in context of leaving Egypt. Parashat God turns us and says the future is very rosy. You now have a future in which, if we do this right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna protect you. Anyway, it says the Gemara again, shem Al ha the problem is, and it appears from the statement of Rabbi Yochanan, it's specifically because you're mazkir shem shamayim, because you're mentioning the name of God. It's that which will qualify furthermore in just a few lines, that it's not specifically per se, outside of Rabbi be opinion, because you mentioned the name of God, it's also, and furthermore, just mentioning Torah in the context of that rekika, believing that the Torah has an inherent potency instead of a connectedness which could bring some sort of cure. Itmar, rav amar afilo so there it is. The rav statement, as Rashi explains it is, even if you're citing a pasuk which doesn't have the name of God in it, the statement of Rabbi Ochanan was, you mentioned the name of God, Shem Shamayim. Uh, Rav says, even if you don't mention the name of God, you'd have a pasuk about Negasarat, about the plague of uh, leprosy. Problematic if you did it with that Rikika. Rabbi Haninamar, Afila Vayikrayil Moshe, even if it's a pasuk which has nothing to do with ailments, illnesses, and sickness. It's just a pasuk, you're just learning Torah, but you spit on the wound, on the ailment, and you assume that through the Torah together with that, you'll cure, that's problematic theologically, that's a problematic statement with regards to your actions, what you've done, you could, and it's very appropriate to study Torah for the recovery of someone, but if you believe that through doing some action and coupling it with Torah, you'll magically change it, that's what our Gemara is saying is prohibited, it's just not the way it works, it touches on, and comes close to sorcery and witchcraft. It says the Gemara, now that we're talking about these sorts of matters, we'll expand it for 10 or so lines and talk about the halachot of Shabbat in similar contexts. You see the Gemara and Masechet Shabbat in several places, but Adafnun Gimal specifically says that medicine is prohibited on Shabbat. The reason medicine is prohibited on Shabbat is, gezerramishum mishum samamanim, which means to say, there is a fear of the rabbis. It's a rabbinic vi- violation and and a safeguard gizera that if we permit medicine, a person will come to crushing the herbs to creating medicine. Of course, that prov- provokes the question which we've addressed in other classes, well, we don't know how to crush um, herbs any longer. And it's for that reason as well. We're much more lenient with regards to Advil and Tylenol and all that sort of stuff, whereas uh, even 100 years ago, if there was such a concept, it would have been prohibited in Today, you just don't have even the mechanism, the vehicle to getting to it. So we're much more lenient almost under all circumstances with regards to taking it. But the statement over here is, if a person has B'nei has an issue with their innards, of some sort uh, what you're allowed to do is sahin <laughs> you're allowed to lather on you're allowed to smear an oil of some sort mashmishin and then to and then to uh, to, to rub it in um, so in other words, even though you might imagine this would be a problem of gezirah Mishum Mamanim, this is permitted because sicha, as Rashi points out based on the Gemara in Masechet Chabbat, I think on Gimal, sicha, when you're talking about smearing in, it has a separate entity. We consider it similar to shitiyat, to drinking, it's not part of that of uh, refuah on Shabbat. Okay, so that's the first statement. Sahinu mashmishi. Now, this doesn't address, and we won't now, but we've talked about it in halacha classes, it doesn't address the issue of memareach. Memareach means it depends on what sort of substance you're smoothing on. Is it a viscous substance? Is it not? In other words, is it something that just drips? Is it something that's thicker? And with regards to its uh, texture, that's, that's an issue that's separate. Over here, we're not dealing with that. We're assuming you're using a permitted thing, just a question of refua. This is permitted. You're furthermore allowed to uh, do a lehisha, some sort of uh, whispering of sorts to nehashim, to serpents or to akrabim to, or, or snakes or akrabim is uh, scorpions. Uh, there used to be some sort of art in which you knew sounds and ways to get them to be disarmed and not to hurt you. This used to be the Gemara talks about people who were able to do that with snakes often. Now, what would the issue be on Shabbat? Rashi says you may have thought it would be an issue of Seda. Seda means trapping, you know, i a trap on Shabbat. Maybe this is considered trapping, I'm so to speak, stopping them from doing their thing. I'm freezing them in place. This is permitted on Shabbat. Ma'abirin keli al b'shabbat Lastly, the statement is you're allowed to place some sort of utensil onto the eye if you have an eye ailment on Shabbat. Rashi gives one of two examples. Either it's some sort of ring-like thing you'd put around the the eye or you'd put some sort of brass item on top of the eye. Either way, you slice it, you're dealing with another one of these quasi- um, medicinal circumstances, but the rabbi said it's not a part of that. <laughs> Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel qualifies that last statement of the permissibility of putting that thing onto the eye. hanital, bekele asur. It's specifically when I'm dealing with a utensil which is not what we call mukse. It's not asur mehamat, it's, it's it's not an isur gufo, which means to say it's not an item like a rock of some sort which has no other other use that you'd say is muktzeh, you're not allowed to use on Shabbat. It's rather, instead, a ring of some sort or a key or something that would have been per- permitted. We're not dealing with, he says specifically. Don't think we're permitting muktzeh for this. So they switch from like a magic spell thing to a Shabbat thing. Right. So you're allowed to do these things. It to do with that's why I said the gemara you'll see in a moment why it came up cuz there's another line right here the intro alim Shedim. right and it was the next line in the Beraita is about t- turning and talking to demons so that's why it's brought up but yes this has nothing to do with the uh, the Actual context of our Mishnah, which was talking about, you know, wrongful activity because you're turning away from God. This has to do all with rabbinic violations of Shabbat, refu'ah, and all that sort and of thing. The line right before, that we we're talking about with the spitting. With yes, separate issue. Not that, that's not Shabbat. That's a theological issue. You're turning away from God. It's a lot more severe. I mean, ironically, that's a lot more severe. We're, we're touching on almost Avodah Zarah in such a circumstance. Hey, you're bringing that into a Say it again? Bringing down the Torah Pasu, why is that turning away from God? Because you're using your... Sometimes... When you see the door and you say the Berach Adi... I gotcha. Sometimes, do you? Sometimes the worst thing you can do is you can embrace an entity or a being, but completely pervert their actual meaning. So I'm taking Torah, which is purpose to be understood in one way, and I'm reconstructing and reconfiguring it in the wrong way, you couldn't get worse than that. That's the understanding. No, that's what we saw in our Mishnah a lot of times, right? A person who's Migale panim shelo your purpose is not to go against the tradition per se. You're just reading the Torah as you understand it. But you've perverted the proper understanding of it. Can't get worse so than that. that. that, that with, the, with the dog that many people say. I, mean, I didn't know many people do. Um, <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is... Uh, it, it's, it's, you're saying it's, it may not be good. No, 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 not per se, no, no, no. Because that's mentioned in the Gemara. Well, the Gemara has, the Gemara has. If you see, uh, if you see interesting beings, uh, you, you say... No, but what, what I'm saying is, uh, uh, is, is if a person believes, and this is really the purpose of... If a person believes that Torah can be used as a mechanism, uh, for example, what bothers me, and it's not exactly this, but what bothers me is when people recite tahili, it's similar, um, without knowing who they're talking about or the circumstance, so they've believed, it's not exactly the same, but they're touching on Maharam Babam, very severe about this, they believe that Torah became an amulet of sorts. It's, there's no such thing. You can use it as a mechanism to connecting with God and saying, hey God, we're in a relationship over here, I'm beseeching you in merit of XYZ to please help with this, That's permitted. If I think that, I can put a few quarters into the machine by reciting these pesukim. So the same thing goes. You know, if you're walking by and you believe because you said the pasuk, you are now safeguarding yourself problematic. If you say, and, and there's a fine line no doubt I mean it's the same thing people get very nervous about going to graves of righteous of sadikim. I love it I think there's history and there's sanctity and all that sort of stuff connected but you have to have the right perspective if you go and you think you're praying to the righteous person to the sadik, that's uh, that's touching on al-Hamitim, as we saw in the 7th perek which is forbidden from the Torah if alternatively you're going you're saying this is a place which is appropriate for connectedness to God in the merit of this person and so forth that's what's permitted there's, there's fine lines over here. You're Kohen, so you're used to it, of giving berachot and that sort of thing. There's fine lines here. If people believe that a beracha has the potency the of appealing jewelry. to God, what's the worst, that? The worst thing. Everyone says the berachah. But different, but different, because you're, well, you know, all right. Each each circumstance, I, I'm with you. I'm telling you there is particular dangers in each, if misunderstood, 100%, 100,000%. Yes, yes. And again, I'm not railing against it. I think we need to have the proper perspective in all of them. I think when a person says the, the, the prayer, which everybody does, I'm aware of that, when you lost something, uh, if you think that you're saying a mat and they do, everybody believes it's a magical statement, I'm inca- this incantation, as a result, it'll be found Wrong. You're touching on almost locheshe may almost. Almost. If alternatively, I'm mentioning this, I'm hoping to enhance my mindfulness and connect with something beyond my sight. Hard to state, state that, but you have to. That's what I'm saying. Either avoid the whole thing or state it appropriately, then you're doing it right. I'm telling you, you know, this is not a uh, rationalistic, outside-of-the-box uh, thought. This is the Gemara, through and through. All right, lastly, if, if you thought, you know, we were clarifying matters, ואין שואלים בדבר shedim Bishabat. All right, so the last statement here in this Beraita, which is probably the reason it's brought up, is that you're not allowed to turn to demons on Shabbat. Rashi explains, why would you turn to a demon on Shabbat? Because, would you know it, Jeffrey, you lost something, Rashi says. That's what people do. They'll turn to demons in order to aid in figuring out where the item went. Before we talk about the the, the implications, <speaking in> Rabbi <Hebrew> Yoseh says even during the weekday it's permitted. Now the Gemara will explain Rabbi Yoseh's logic, his rationale, is only because there's a potential danger in turning to the shade, not because there's, as we've been discussing, a theological, a wrongful thought process with regards to that, which is interesting. In fact, we talked about this in the seventh parikh. There happens to be a mahlok between rosh and others, uh, uh, rashba and others, with regards to if you're appealing to, um, you know, let's let's call it a shade, some sort of uh, a demon. Is there an Isurav, of uh, in that circumstance of mehashefa that witchcraft? And so the suggestion from this Gemara and others is that it's not per se in all circumstances. So, for example, in this Gemara, you're looking for a revelation. You're not looking for an action. That's how they distinguish. In other words, again, our Gemara is you're turning to, and again, I can't tell you how to do this. I don't think it's done any longer, but I think it once was. You're turning for an, a, a, something to be revealed. That's primitive. you're turning to it, and asking for it to do something for you, that's what would be prohibited. We did point out, however, that there's a strong strand, Tosafot and others, who say, nonetheless, even though we're discussing this, the Pasuk Tamim tie Im Adonai Elohecha is still in place. You need to be complete with your God, so it might not be witchcraft, but you're not complete with your God, so you shouldn't be doing this from a different angle. But uh, that's the conversation which we had, and you know needs to be had throughout. And this Gemara is a primary example. Rashba brings it up in his Tishubot and others. Okay, anyway, it says the Gemara, Amarafuna halacha Kirbiyose, The halacha is like on this last issue with issue with regards to turning to the Shedim, that you shouldn't do it even during the weekday because it can be dangerous. And the Gemara tells us funny or interest peculiar things about this. V'afra lo amara. You should know the B.O.C. statement that you shouldn't turn to these demons in order to aid you in finding something specifically and only because of the danger inherent in doing so. What sort of danger? Kiha says the Gemara, just like what happened. The Hak Bar Yosef. Hak Bar Yosef apparently appealed to a demon to a shade. Ivla be Arza. <laughs> Amazingly, he's he was swallowed by a cedar tree as a result of doing. What's the idea? The way the Mefashim Rashi and others explain is if you turn to that demon, again, define it accordingly. I can't, I don't fully understand it, and you've asked wrongfully or you've provoked it in the wrongful fashion, it's going to work adversely. And as a result, you were just looking for revelation, you were hurt instead. So he was swallowed up by a cedar tree. It's for that reason, Rabbi Yosef says, stay away from this stuff. It's dangerous. However, lucky for Rav Yitzhak Yosef, a miracle transpired, the, uh, the cedar tree spit him out, uh, was split and spit him out. But again, the story more than anything is a cautionary tale of stay away from this stuff, says Rabbi Yosef. Tanur uh, banana Abiraita furthers these conversations that was the statement we had earlier that it is permitted under circumstance of those uh, the inter- intestinal pains and issues uh, to be sach to, to smear on the uh, ointment or the or the oil. The Shabbat then you're allowed to uh, to rub it. Uh, in other words, rub the, the stomach, I assume. However, this beraita qualifies and says, it's specifically when it's done b'shinui. Although this is permitted, the rabbis still want it to be done with a change. Why with a change? To understand this is Shabbat, and to understand there is a gezerah in place. We understand the circumstances, but don't do it in the regular fashion. There are many halachot with regards to refuan Shabbat, where you're supposed to do b'shinui. What sort of shinui could or should you do, says the Gemara, this is now outside of the Beraita, the Gemara speaking. How can you do this? What's a shinoi? The first opinion says you smear on and then you rub. Whereas apparently the regular fashion is you rub the area that's, that's affected and then you smear on. This way you'll... Smear it on, and then you'll rub. You're doing effectively the same thing. You're just doing it in the opposite order. It'll be a Hananamad, be Hanan. Alternatively, says Sach Be Batahat. You smear and rub at the same time, which is a Shinui again from the way you would have done it during the week. Tanur Banan. Another Beraita, which now addresses those Shedim that we talked about earlier briefly. Sare Shemin, the Sare Besim. As she explains, these are two demon vehicles and mechanisms. Uh, one is shemen, the ministers of the oil, and the ministers of the betzim, Rashi says, the kilipot, the shells of the betzim. So you're appealing to them to find something, or to find something that was stolen or lost. Mutarin <laughs> lish'ol uh, you're allowed to ask of them, again, to reveal where the item is. That's the statement. and uh, Many would argue, as we said, Tamim tiyem, You shouldn't be doing so, but it's permitted. However, says Rashi, uh, Lechaziv means to, to let down. Uh, they don't always help you. So you're going to turn to them, ah, you know, you can do whatever you want, says the Beraita, but we don't do it because... They usually don't help. You turn to them and you think you're getting an answer, and it doesn't help. And then again, on, on, onward with these peculiar details with regard to the Shadim, says the Beraita, what you can do is when you're doing this uh, lehisha, this speech to these demons, to these Shadim, you should do it specifically al Shemin Shibakeli, but not Shibayad. When it's in the utensil still, so then you're asking some sort of appealing to this Shadim, uh, that's permitted. One Once it went onto the hand, the understanding is it's altogether different and we'll see in the Gemara, not so effective. Lefichach, therefore, Sachin Mishemin Shebayad, and Sachin Mishemin It's for that reason, again, we'll, we'll detail it in just one second, that if you're going to, on Shabbat, be dealing, or during the week, be dealing with such a reality where you want to you be Sach, you want to be uh, anointing, you want to be, um, what's it called, smearing with the shemen through this Shed uh, involvement, you do it specifically when it was poured out onto the hand beforehand, and you didn't turn to it when it was in the so why so? Rabbi Yitzhak Bar-Shimuel Bar-Martah Iklah Le-Hu Ushbiza The Gemara tells again another one of these peculiar stories. Uh, he was he visited an ushpiza, some sort of inn or motel. Uh, they brought him, someone, I guess the innkeeper, someone brought him b'mana, means in a utensil. Mishha means means oil, means shemen. So they brought him the oil in the utensil. Shaf, he used it in order to anoint, in order to smear. He got bruises on his face, which means to say that what the Gemara was... Uh, implying throughout is that when it's in the utensil still and you're appealing to it in some way, shape, or form, it's dangerous. The shedima is still in some way dangerous with regards to their effect. Again, I can't tell you more than what the Gemara says on this. Nathak Lashuk, he went out, this Rav Yitzhak Bar Shemuel Bar Marata, he goes out to the marketplace, Haziteha iteta. that woman, a woman sees him with these bruises on his face and she immediately realizes that's because he was affected by this shed. Amra, she says it's Zika, as it comes zruach, the spirit of the Kahazina Hamatra, she explains, is the name of the Shaykh. She says, oh my goodness, I see you were affected by, you must have used the oil from the utensil and you were affected in turn by this demon, ha- uh, Kahazina ha-ha. That's what I see here. Avda milta she does something to him. I guess she's well-versed, much better than me, that's for sure, in how to get this away from him. Ve'itase, and she heals him. Again, the Gemara, in a time and place where Shedim were more a reality for them, is to describing and giving directions with regards to how to deal with them. Okay, now the Gemara gets back to, I would say, a little bit more uh, straight grounds for our purposes. So this is the statement that I mentioned to Jeffrey earlier. Uh, So here's the dialogue between Rabbi Abba and Rabba Barmeri. On the one hand, the Pasuk says, Pasuk says, all the illnesses and ailments I placed upon you or were prevalent or existent in Egypt, and again, I don't read it as specifically Egypt, just your existence the last 210 years. You knew ailments, you knew illnesses, uh, they'll no longer be a reality for you. And then the end of the pasuk says, Ki because I'm the one who cures you. Uh, uh, says that, says the question of Rabbi Abba is if God is no longer placing those ailments and sicknesses, l'ama. Uh, so then what do you need to be cured? If I say to you, I'm going to make certain. Take this. Be with me. I'll make certain that you never get sick. I don't need to be an expert doctor. That's it. It's done. He responds to Bi'ochanan's statement. It says if you read the pasuk internally properly, you don't need to go to another pasuk to another interpretation. You could just read this properly. On the one hand, the pasuk says immediately beforehand, God turns to Am Yisrael and says, "Here's how it's going to work." Oh, there it is. If you listen to the will of God, to the Word of God, then all the illnesses and ailments that, I, that you had in Egypt won't be apparent, won't, a, a, a won't be relevant to you. However, tishma lo asim, if you listen to, me, listen to me and you follow in my way so you won't have any of those uh, sicknesses. Vim Lotishma, however, if you don't, asim. I will place, then the end of the Pasuk says, even though I'm going to place it upon you, even though you're going against my will, even though you've defied my orders... I still will have the compassion and the mercy to bring forth rifuat um, to, to cure you under those circumstances. So that's the dirasha in the pasuk. The pasuk mentions in two separate parts, if you listen, so you won't have to deal with it. If you don't listen, you'll have to deal with it, but I'll be there to help you. Amar rabba bar 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 Hana tells a story, When Rabi'li Izr was sick. Now, is this at the end of his life? If we're dealing with Rabi'li Izr bin Hurkanus, whom, whom we seem to be dealing with, we saw in Daf Samech a different story, at the end of his life. So this is either at the end of his life in a different uh, occasion when they came to visit him, the rabbis, or alternatively, it's just at a different point when he was just sick. Anyway, Talmidav his students came to visit him. He turns to them, as it does to his students, and says to them, There's a severe and fierce anger that's prevalent in the world. Rashi explains, it's being taken out on me because I am deservant of for some reason, that wrath of God. Alternatively, Maharsha says that he's implying that because of the sins of others, he's the one who's on the receiving end. Either way, you, you slice it. Either way, you, you, suggest, you explain this. Beliezer is saying, I'm feeling the wrath of God. I'm feeling and, 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 and suffering the pain of what I understand to be God's anger uh, in some fashion. <laughs> the students begin to cry. Rabbi <laughs> Akiva is laughing. Now we know this from the reaction of Rabbi Akiva at the very end of Masechem Makot, that Gemara which describes how Rabbi Akiva and several of his colleagues are walking on Har and they see a shual, they see an animal emerging, they all begin to cry and Rabbi Akiva is, Laughing. Rabbi Akiva is good with perspective. Rabbi Akiva knows how to take in the scenery and instead of seeing it narrowly and as everyone else gets anxiety and sadness and, and, and sorrow, Rabbi Akiva has a way of saying there's something larger at stake over here if we need to just expand and broaden our vision. So here it is. They're all crying because they see the rabbi, Ezir, is, 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 is in pain and he's talking about the anger of God and the wrath of God. Rabbi Akiva is laughing. Amrullo, the students, the colleagues of Rabbi Akiva, turned to him and ask him, why are you laughing? And it's a, it's a characteristic response of Rabbi Akiva and anyone else who has that breadth of vision is, I don't understand your perspective. Why would you be crying? They respond, the colleagues, the other students of Rabbi Akiva, Can you read the Torah in the is it possible that a sefer Torah, it's a reference to Rabbi Eliezer. We'll talk about that in a second. Is um, is is uh, is involved in is is uh, ensconced by pain and sorrow, and we're not going to be crying now. Rabbi Eliezer is in several places in Talmud known as that embodiment of Torah for reasons that we've discussed on other occasions. The Gemara Masechet Sotan Daf Mem says that at the death of Rabbi Eliezer we lost sefer Torah. Rabbi Eliezer Daf Samechet in Masechet San Sanhedrin described at the end of his life, he showed his two arms and he said, my two arms are like two sifre Torah, which are now being wrapped up and lost. Rabbi Ezer was, we know it from Masechet Bava Metziyad he's the one who's always appealing to uh, this, this heavenly uh, law. He's the one who most associates with the real origins of it all. He appeals to the heavens to determine law. Whereas Rabbi Ezer says, no, we determine this on our own. Rabbi Ezer is, in the eyes of the rabbis, the association with the Torah at its core, which is not always the way we follow halakha. As a matter of fact, we say lo against Rabbi Eliezer, but that's why they refer to him, at least in my mind, as the to- Sefei Torah. Well, here it is. The students turn to Rabbi Akiva and they say, Sefer Torah, how are we not going to cry? Amar lahen, says Rabbi Akiva, aha, that's exactly why I'm laughing, What are you talking about? That's why you're laughing? Sefer Torah, shalui Calls him zeman shani roei uh, the entire lifetime of our rabbi of Aizer, I noticed about him, he has almost this this uh, this easy uh, approach to life. Everything he's done, he's been successful at. yeno <laughs> his wine never goes gets vinegary. It never spoils. The inpishtano loke and his uh, what's that? Linen. His linen never withers. Ve'en shemano mavish or shamno, and his his oil never never spoils either. Ve'en duvshanu madvish. She says when you apparently when you leave um uh, what's it called honey out in the the heat it has a way of getting I guess. Uh, maybe more congealed, whatever. It's not. It's not as good. He says. But we never saw any of that with The obelians had this life in which everything seemed to be successful. I will say pa- parenthetically, there are certain people like that that I think we've all come in contact with. They're so in touch with themselves and the world around them that they have this way that even in the physical domain, forget about the spiritual. Physical domain because of their mindfulness and their connectedness to reality, matters seem to work differently for them. I've. I mean, pay attention. You'll. You'll. Maybe it's one of you, but I've I've noticed those sorts of people. That's Rabbi Leizer Amarti, says Rabbi Akiva. But when I saw that type of life of Rabbi Leizer Amariti, Shemeh Olamo. I said to myself, Oh my goodness. Heaven forbid, perhaps, Rabbi Eliezer got all his reward in this world. His life has been such a successful one. He's never had those sorrows, difficulties, and agonies of a regular human being. <laughs> he says, now that I see that, Rabbi Eliezer does have some pain, that Rabbi Eliezer is suffering a bit. Now I say, okay. He lived a life which is similar to others, and as a result, he didn't eat up his merit in the world to come. That's the vision of the hachamim very often. It's Rabbi Akiva's breadth of vision. He says, listen, we want to have the proper perspective. On the one hand, we want to live a life which is successful. On the other hand, we don't want the success to be unmatched. And unparalleled to the extent that I can't now imagine having any merit and any connectedness in the world to come. Says Rabbi Akiva, I now have perspective. That's why I'm laughing. I'm feeling good for the rabbi. Amar lo akiva kelum hisarti min haTorah kula. Says Rabbi to Rabbi Akiva says Akiva. Have I not followed anything in the Torah? Am I really deserving of this? Did I sin? Amar lo. Says Rabbi Akiva. In response to Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer Hakanus. Limaditanu Didn't you teach us ki Adam en sadik vaaret ashei yase tov Doesn't the pasuk say in Kohelet? There's no such thing as a person who lives without any sin or iniquity, which means to say, Rabbi Eliezer says, Rabbi Akiva, you're a human being. You're uh, unparalleled, above and beyond the heads of all others, but we understand that you're a human being and in turn, it's appropriate. We have a breadth and positive uh, vision over here uh, for, for there to be some sort of punishment. Says the Gemara Rabanan a Hala. We'll start it. Rabbi al When Rabbi Ezer was getting sick, um, so four elders, four rabbis came to visit him. Rabbi Tarfon, Ben Azaria, Akiva. Sounds like Haggadah Shel Pesach. Each one of them is going to appeal to God and pray. Rabbi says, "You're greater, our Rabbi, than droplets. A droplet of of uh, of rainwater. Rainwater brings forth. It sprouts. It brings growth in this world. It doesn't help in the world to come. You, you've brought forth the potential within each of us. You've sprouted and blossomed our capacity as students of you and our own burgeoning Torah. Ah, that's that's your merit. So, in other words, that's a." appeal to God in prayer. Now, on Rabbi Joshua says along the same lines, not only does water help the growth, uh, but, uh, but so too does sunlight. You should know, everybody knows, you need sunlight in order to bring forth uh, growth out in the field. You've aided us in this world, but we know that that merit, that connectedness, which you brought forth in our own lives will help us in the world to come above and beyond any rainwater, or, um, or or a sunlight. In fact, Rashi quotes. He seems to be appealing to the pasuk in Yesha'aya, that in the world to come there won't be any sunlight. God's light will be the light. <laughs> You're greater to Am Yisrael and to your students than parents. Mm-hmm. Parents bring forth life in this world, but you you uh, secure us for the world to come. Now, anar Akiva ve Amar. We'll conclude with this. Chavivin Yisurin. The response of Rabbi Akiva is out of character or, or out of context. It's almost inappropriate. Again, Rabbi Akiva, what sort of answer is that? Everybody's speaking about the merit of Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Akiva says, "Look how wonderful." Pain and torture and suffering is again. That's what Bili Izzah is going through. That's your perspective for the Biakiva, and the Gemara will, in due time, in just a few more lines, explain the the logic and rationale for Biakiva. He's again, al- al- although it seems difficult, the laughing and the vision. It's a positive perspective. He says, we're not going to get past this torture and pain which you're going through. Let's instead envision it uh, as not negative, which we need to overcome, but as something that has an inherent positivity to it. Baruch Adonai Amen be-amen.